Act deal over grain exports. You're listening to the news on RTHK. AM, FM, and live online. This is Radio 3. Money Talk. Good morning, it's 8.03 in Hong Kong. A warm welcome to Tuesday's Money Talk on Radio 3. This is Peter Lewis with the morning's business and finance headlines. China will set up a dedicated real estate investment fund to help support the country's heavily indebted property sector. Financial news outlet Red reported yesterday that China's state council last week passed a plan to establish a real estate fund worth up to 300 billion renminbi, that's about 44.4 billion US dollars, to support at least a dozen property groups and to help developers resolve their crippling debt crisis. Hong Kong's exports fell for a second straight month, dropping more than economists estimated as global business activity slowed. June exports declined 6.4% from a year earlier, compared with economists' forecasts for a 0.7% drop. Deliveries to the mainland plunged 10.4%. And the city posted a trade deficit of 68.5 billion Hong Kong dollars, worse than the estimated 38.5 billion shortfall. And Russia is to make further cuts in its gas supply to the EU, lowering it to just a fifth of capacity. Gazprom said Monday it was stopping another turbine at the Nord Stream 1 pipeline between Russia and Germany and would cut daily gas production to 20%, halving the current level of supply. The move comes as the EU is trying to replenish storage tanks ahead of the winter. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by James Wong at Leeds Securities and Patrick Bennett of CIBC World Markets with a view from Japan. This is Nick Smith from CLSA. And if you want to get in touch, please text 6393 5925. Email Money Talk at rthk.hk. Take a look at our Facebook page, Money Talk, on RTHK Radio 3, or send us a tweet at Money Talk Radio 3. Money Talk on On Wall Street overnight, tech shares continued to sell off following the earnings shock from Snap, the owner of popular photo sharing social media app Snapchat, which posted last week the weakest sales growth since going public. Tech-heavy Nasdaq Composite Index closed 0.4% lower at 11,783. The S&P 500 climbed 0.1% to 3,967. The Dow added 91 points to end the session at 31,990. All of the three major averages are on track for their best month of the year. And it's an important week for U.S. second quarter earnings. 33% of S&P 500 companies are due to report this week, including tech companies Apple, Microsoft, Meta and Alphabet. After the bell, U.S. retailing giant Walmart issued a profits warning, cutting its outlook for the second quarter and the rest of the year. Walmart's chief executive officer, Doug McMillan, said the increasing levels of food and fuel inflation are affecting how customers spend. The company said its operating income would fall by 13 to 14 percent in the quarter and by 11 to 13 percent over the full year. Shares of Walmart's tumbled 10 percent in after-hours trading. The Pan-European Stock 600 index climbed 0.1 percent. 
the UK's FTSE 100 rose 0.4%. Hong Kong stocks were marginally lower yesterday, with traders acting cautiously ahead of this week's Fed meeting. The Hang Seng Index lost 46 points, or 0.2% to 20,563. The Hang Seng Tech Index tumbled 1.4%. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite Index was down 0.6% at 3,250. The property sector outperformed amid reports that China is planning to set up a real estate fund. The Hang Seng Mainland Properties Index surged 5.4% before closing 3.2% higher. In the commodities markets, oil prices trended higher throughout the U.S. session. Brent crude oil is 2% higher at $105.15 per barrel. Gold slipped to $1,719 an ounce. The U.S. 10-year Treasury bond yield is 5 basis points higher at 2.81%. And in the currency markets, the US dollar index was lower to start the week, but well off the lows. The euro this morning trading at one dollar two and a quarter cents. The bucks at one hundred and thirty-six and a half Japanese yen. Sterling is worth one dollar twenty and a half cents and nine Hong Kong dollars and forty-six cents. The Chinese yuan is sitting at six point seven five and a half versus the dollar in offshore markets. Bitcoin is down three percent at twenty-one thousand three hundred dollars. The Walmart profits warning has hit U.S. stock index futures, which is down around half a percent this morning. That's dragging Asia-Pacific stock markets uh, a little bit lower. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 is off 0.2%. The Cosby in South Korea down about a quarter of a percent. In Australia, the SX200 is up 0.2%. And it does look like the Hang Seng is going to open about 40 points higher or so when trading gets going later on this morning. Times 8.09. Let's welcome our guests over in our Queensway studio. We have with us James Wong, Managing Director and Chief Investment Officer at Lead Securities. Morning, James. Good morning, Peter. And also with us is Patrick Bennett, Macro Strategist at CIBC World Markets. Welcome back, Patrick. Thanks. Good morning, Peter. Um, let's start with this uh, dedicated real estate investment fund that China uh, has said that it's going to, uh, to set up. It seems to have a war chest of about 300 billion renminbi. That's about 44.4 billion US dollars to support at least a dozen property groups and to help developers resolve their crippling debt crisis. Um, James, I'm not too sure about the details of this and how this is going to work, but is this a bailout, basically, of property developers? Yeah, hopefully it is. Uh, back in March, we heard about a rumor. Uh, it's about PBOC initiating a pool of funds for developers. And back then, we heard the number was about 1 trillion yuan. And now we've got 300 billion. It's not a lot, but uh, I guess it's it's some help. And uh, the use of it is not clear. It's not, We're not sure if it's used to... Uh, to offset some of the uh, the uh, debt, the offshore debt that those developers are accumulating, uh, or to offset some of the mortgages that the uh, buyers are refusing to reser- uh, to to service. So we're we're hoping it's a little bit of both, and uh, hopefully it helps. Uh, the uh, especially the buyers in mainland market to restore their confidence in the uh, real estate market. It's a bit of a backtrack, though, isn't it, for the Chinese government because they've always insisted for what the last year, year and a half, that there was going to be no bailout of property developers. 
Exactly. The back, I think about two weeks ago, the uh, the authorities in China insisted that the banks in China are supposed to be the ones uh, swelling this up uh, because uh, they want this whole mortgage thing to be done in a market way. I mean, in, in the, the banks are supposed to uh, send out money or or having some kind of uh, mechanism to deal with this. But now I think they realize the problem is too big for banks to solve alone, so mm-hmm. they step in and. Uh, uh, Provided some some kind of funding, but I think the problem is it's not really about funding. I mean, uh, for it's about funding for now, but it's all more more about the uh, construct construct of legality in this area, uh, because in Hong Kong, when we when we buy a house, we pour we pay a down payment and then stop paying until the uh, the the project is finished. But and uh, we have a solicitor acting as our uh, trustee. We have the bank mm-hmm. as custodian, and uh, we are the beneficiaries. But back uh, in China, first of all, you have to pay uh, continuously as long as the project is under construction. Uh, so it's a lot more burden. And then there is no such a role as a trustee or a solicitor in Hong Kong. So there's basically just the banks, you and the developers. So developers can use the loopholes in regulations and move money around to construct new projects and leave the original project uh, unfunded. So so you can see it's more burden and less regulation in China. So if if they really want to boost uh, confidence in retail buyers of real estate uh, properties. They they really need to make some changes in in the regulation and the enforcement part. Patrick, do you think this is what's needed? And, and investment funds to maybe stabilise the market and also bring back confidence into into the market. Look, I uh, agree with James. I think it's encouraging, um, but it's a very complicated situation. <laughs> very complicated situation. Um, uh, the developers are, are under pressure. The, the red line tests uh, still exist, so uh, a lot of them have had difficulty in uh, refinancing. Uh, this mortgage boycott that we've got going on now, you know, are these loans going to become uh, irrecoverable? I don't think that's going to be the case because they're actually they are backed by some sort of asset, but the asset is not yet completed. So. Yeah, if this money is, uh, if this fund is to is to help, uh, you know, get this construction uh, finished, uh, if we can get uh, mortgage holders, you know, repaying, uh, uh, repaying or starting to repay, then I think it's encouraging. So I think it's a step in the right direction. Uh, very complicated. Um, actually, getting to the right number, exactly how much is the number needed or uh, you know, is required? You know, is it a number required to finish? Uh, the construction is at a number required to to compensate for the the mortgage holders uh, you know paying so yeah look a step in the right direction and I'm encouraged by that uh, but from a, a wider perspective I, I'm concerned that uh, this makes you know China receiving China achieving its growth targets more difficult uh, mm-hmm. we know that uh, uh, property and uh, real estate construction is a is a very important part of uh, you know of the GDP uh, of the GDP makeup. Well, from an investment perspective, we saw a big jump in the mainland, uh, the Hang Seng Mainland Properties Index. Do you think now uh, this will help a turnaround in uh, in confidence in mainland stocks? Well, I think it. Uh, well, I think mainland stocks overall have done uh, ha- have done pretty well. Uh, if we look back from say May, 
Uh, most of them have outperformed uh, other major indices. Uh, and I think that's because uh, China, China's policy is still geared towards stimulus, while policy in most other major economies is geared towards uh, you know, monetary tightening and uh, so restrictive policy. So I think that, that can continue uh, mm. for the sector as a whole. Uh, yeah, look, I, you know, the recovery uh, yesterday uh, perhaps helps to, you know, to form a low uh, you know, rather than, uh, rather than uh, suggest we're going to you know, race back to the peaks that we saw uh, previously. I, I think property is going to be under pressure for quite some time. The thing is, James, there's the, the problem is there's a lot of, if you like, collusion, isn't there, between property developers and, and local governments. They're, they sort of have a, a symbiotic relationship, really, because local governments rely on them uh, to raise quite a lot of money uh, that they need for their, uh, their financing. And at the same time, uh, the property developers rely on the local governments not being too stringent on, on enforcing the rules and regulations. Uh, yes, that's why we can see the uh, developers being able to move money out of some uh, out of the uh, mortgage funds that is destined designated for uh, certain projects to other projects, and uh, so uh, I think there along that chain of custody, a lot of people are making mistakes, and uh, there were loopholes in regulations, and uh, no, I don't think that everybody is really paying attention on fixing those loopholes right now, because mm. as you said, there are mutual. Interests to be ensured. Uh, you, so. me- you mentioned earlier the Hong Kong system. Is, should China maybe look at that? Because we pre-sell apartments here as well, don't we? But the system does work. You know, and you mentioned a couple of the reasons why the money goes to solicitors who don't release it to the developers until they've made progress on, on finishing exactly. the apartments. Whereas um, in uh, in China, it does go straight to the developers who then go and uh, loan out or misuse those uh, those home buyers' funds. Well, it doesn't really go to the developers in mainland China alone. It goes to the custodian bank, but the bank is really doing nothing about really cust- being a custodian because mm. the, the developers basically is free to, to move those money around. As but- in Evergrande. Yeah, so so I think that the problem is if they are really uh, interested, or I mean, I mean the authorities in China are really interested in change the construct of legality in this area. Mm. So, and that's a big move, and that's going to touch a lot about a lot of people's cakes. So I, I think it's going to take a while. Patrick, let me ask you about uh, what's going on with global growth. It's an important week, isn't it? We've got the Fed meeting. Uh, this week looks like they're going to raise interest rates by 75 basis points. But it comes as we're getting a lot of these business surveys from the US, uh, from the EU, signaling a slowdown and maybe economies uh, teetering on the, on the brink of recession. What, what are your thoughts about this? Yeah, look, absolutely. I, look, I think that um, if we think of the US for a start, uh, you know, the conversation between uh, Powell and, and Biden and the Biden administration uh, a month or, or more ago, and, and I think it was clear after that that uh, inflation is the bogeyman that has to be beaten, you know, that has to be won over. Uh, and if recession was a cost of that, then that was acceptable. Mm. Uh, and I think that that's what we're seeing now. Uh, I think, yes, when central banks meet, they're going to be aware or, or cognizant of the fact that uh, sentiment surveys are turning lower. Uh, but their overriding concern is inflation uh, and that they will continue to hike rates at a swift and sharp pace. Uh, in order to beat that, uh, and that the price of that, one of the price of that is, you know, is recession. So, yeah, I think one of the interesting numbers coming out this week is probably the, you know, the, the, the advance reading of Q2 GDP in, in the US. Uh, there's, uh, you know, a, a not, uh, a not, there's a fair chance that we may get a, a negative result. 
Uh, we're not forecasting that, but I, I think that there's a, you know, there's a, enough uncertainty that that may be the result. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a, a tough time for uh, for risk assets uh, at the moment. Interest rates going up and uh, and growth slowing. The, the problem is, um, even if inflation does sort of peak, um, it's still going to come down to and, and be at very high levels. So does that mean well, the central banks have just got to carry on tightening in, even well, into that, a recession? Well, that's right, because you know inflation is a, is a, la- is, is a lagging indicator. Inflation is going to continue to, you know, to rise, or sorry, uh, rather uh, interest rates uh, only have an effect on inflation with a lag. So even though interest rates are being raised now, you know, their impact on inflation is still six or nine months down the track. Mm. Uh, so the central banks have a, uh, you know, have a very difficult task, but, but that's, you know, that's their bread and butter. You know, they have a difficult task in knowing when to stop. Um, you know, the so-called neutral rate or, or R-star, uh, whichever one you want to call it, uh, central banks around the world have, uh, have said pretty clearly that they're going to raise rates above the, uh, the, the so-called neutral rate or the perceived neutral rate uh, in order to bring inflation down over time. So I think we're going to see over-tightening, we're going to see slower growth, uh, but inflation is going to stay elevated for you know, a little bit longer yet. James, this soft landing that uh, the central banks and James, James Jerome Powell was hoping to achieve um, is looking almost impossible, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah I, think, I don't think there is any a period of time that inflation has been skyrocketed and then uh, the uh, monetary authorities start to step in and then we see a soft landing. It's, it just has never happened in the history mm-hmm. of the United States. So so I think the, uh, the FOMC is kind of freaked out right now because you see the traditional, uh, the rational ones like James Bullard and the uh, the Hawks like uh, Christopher Walker come out and say that uh, they think, especially James Bullard says they, they he thinks the neutral rate is about 2.5 percent, and uh, he said he said uh, also that uh, it's it's uh, granted he mentioned that he thinks he thought that the neutral rate was supposed to be 3.5%, but that was his measure of uh, expectation management. And he can see that the market is fully priced in a 3.5% neutral rate. So now he now he thinks the uh, the correct neutral rate should be 2.5%. It's, uh, clearly, it's, it's him being uh, freaked out by the uh, outlook of the United States uh, economy going downwards. So what does this mean from Hong Kong's perspective? We saw that trade data um, earlier, which was worse than expected. It shows that already uh, we seem to be affected by this global slowdown. What sort of impact is it going to have on the economy here? I think Hong Kong's stock market is more related to uh, Chinese companies right now, and uh, we are looking at several indicators, and uh, basically all of them are pointing to the uh, uh, more opti- optimistic direction. Uh, one of them being the China credit impulse, the year-over-year change on China credit impulse. We just got the, ju- uh, the, the June rating, and uh, it had finally turned positive for uh, uh, after about a year of being active. So usually when this turns positive, the, it, it, there is about one to three month window for investors to get in with minimum drawdown and uh, maximum maximum up potential, so uh, upside potential. So so we're not really being too uh, pessimistic about the equity market in Hong Kong. Well, what do you think about uh, the economy here, Patrick? We, we've got the world's most expensive property market. Surely Hong Kong banks are going to have to lift their prime rates soon if we get another 75 basis points increase. Yeah, look, they will be. Uh, interest rates are going up. Uh, yes, the property sector is going to be under. Uh, it's going to continue to be under uh, you know, under some pressure. 
Uh, I'm not so concerned about the you know the trade numbers. I, I think that uh, there's been a lot of volatility in those uh, of late. Um, you know, with issues of uh, you know of closures, etc. Uh, I'd look more to the the Chinese numbers out of uh, you know from June, which were which were very strong in terms of exports, uh, suggesting that the economy, at least in the in the mainland, was able to uh, continue shipping during that time. Uh, but sorry, certainly global growth, uh, you know, is under pressure. Hong Kong was, uh, you know, is leveraged to that. Uh, I'm concerned if we add in the property sector as well that while the rest of the globe is is slowing, uh, that China is not able to take up quite as much of the slack as it was able to mm. uh, previously. So I think that that means uh, uh, an overall slower global growth, uh, and I think China, uh, sorry, rather, you know, Hong Kong is leveraged. You know, to that is going to find uh, you know is going to find the, the going a little bit tough in the in the next uh, you know six to eighteen uh, six to eighteen months. Let me ask you both finally: How do you think um, financial markets are, are likely to react if we get a seventy-five basis points increase on on Thursday morning Hong Kong time, and maybe particularly the U.S. dollar because that's really been soaring, hasn't it? Yeah. Look, well, from my perspective, I, I think we'll get seventy-five. Um, you know, the market may flirt with the idea of 100 heading into it or say that's a risk case. Um, I think that means the dollar will stay strong uh, on the basis that global growth is, uh, you know, is, is slowing. And so currencies, uh, risk currencies, if you like, which are pro-cyclical to that, uh, will continue to be under some pressure. So currencies like the Australian dollar will uh, you know, continue to be under some downward pressure. James, final yeah. thoughts from you? Yeah, I think the dollar is going to remain strong after a, a, a brief period of going downwards. Uh, thing because back in the last period of high inflation, uh, we have the dollar index at about 160. So we're right now, the highest we've seen is about 109. It's nothing compared to 160. Okay, thank you both very much for your thoughts. You. you heard there James Wong, Managing Director and Chief Investment Officer at Leeds Securities, and Patrick Bennett, Macro Strategist at CIBC World Markets. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. RTHK Radio 3. Times 8.24 on the phone from Tokyo is Nick Smith, Japan Strategist at CLSA. Morning, Nick. Good morning, Jim. So we were talking earlier about these sentiment surveys that are coming from the US and Europe. Seems to be suggesting a global slowdown is well underway and maybe some of these economies are, are, gonna, are on the brink of recession. How is all of that going to affect Japan? Well, when you always think of Japan as, um, as a geared player on global trade. So um, if the world's slowing down, it's certainly not good for Japan. Um, um, the majority of its uh, its profits are produced offshore so uh, mm. ultimately 60% plus of, of profits are, are produced offshore that said uh, if you look at uh, consensus forecasts for gdp growth uh, for this year compared to last year the one that has essentially no um, slowdown at all although it, it started uh, relatively low but the one that's got no slowdown is uh, is japan mm. uh, other places are off uh, four and a half percentage points and then when you look forward to her uh, to next year they're seeing uh, uh, continued slowdown and uh, and japan's looking for a little bit of an acceleration i mean it certainly helps if um, if china accelerates next year but um um, I think the the point there surely is that uh, that everybody else used their fiscal stimulus um, early. Uh, Japan's using it late. 
uh, everybody else managed to get out of, uh, of COVID early. Japan uh, was hit by uh, the Omicron wave late um, and is opening up late. So th- those things together um, mean that, um, that fiscal stimulus is coming through as, as it's running out of buff elsewhere. Reopening is coming through uh, somewhat later, uh, and that's holding the economy up somewhat. So that, I suppose, is a, a reason why uh, the uh, topics, at least in uh, local currency terms, is only off um, less than 3% year-to-date, whereas uh, the rest of them are getting hammered. And also, of course, Japan's got ultra-loose monetary policy still as well, hasn't it? One of the few places left in the world now uh, to, to have that. So uh, can that continue and will that help as well? Um, I, I think there are people that, um, that believe that, um, that this time is different and that the, uh, the widow make a trade of, uh, of shorting the Japanese bond market is going to work for them. Um, people say, of course, don't fight the Fed. Um, and they've not got used to don't fight the uh, the BOJ, despite having been carried out from uh, from trying to do that many times. But of course, mm-hmm. the BOJ has um, has been a lot more aggressive on monetary policy than the uh, the others. So, if you look at the beginning of two thousand and seven, um, the the, uh, the BOJ's assets were twenty one percent of uh, of GDP. Now they're one hundred and thirty five percent of uh, of GDP. Um, they certainly don't lack the uh, the resolve, and uh, fighting them, I think, is very dangerous. So yes, I think they can um, continue if they're minded to do so. Now, of course, what's interesting is the BOJ is keeping uh, interest rates negative, even though inflation has now crawled above the Bank of Japan's 2% target. And Haruhiko Kuroda says that this is just temporary. It seems to mirror or remind me certainly of um, Jerome Powell a year and a half ago claiming (laughs) famously that uh, rising inflation was transitory and was proved horribly wrong. Um, is, Is the Bank of Japan making the same mistake? Um, to be fair, there are only t- um, there are two areas of uh, inflation in Japan: um, oil, particularly, but also um, also food. Um, <clears throat> I think uh, there's, there's a decent argument that uh, that oil comes off. Um, the uh, inflation's actually slowed a little bit over the last uh, couple of months. Um, I think. They have understandable concerns about whether uh, that level of um, of inflation will um, will stay in place. Um, what we've got to remember, of course, is that um, that there's a new governor of the Bank of Japan from April next year. And so we look at what's going on at the moment, and it, it beggars belief that what they're doing is taking vast amounts of government money to subsidise uh, particularly oil but also food, um, and paying for that by issuing bonds that they're selling to the BOJ, and the <laughs> BOJ is buying those bonds in order to create inflation. So you've got to ask, what is it you think you're trying to achieve? You try, are you concentrating on the brake or the accelerator at the moment? So if it wanted to, the, the Bank of Japan has got an exit now from this ultra-easy monetary policy, hasn't it? It was in a bit of a bind before, but it could cite rising sort of headline inflation above its target and, and use that as an excuse to maybe at least go some way towards normalising its monetary policy. Yeah, I mean, I think you've got to um, you've got to restrain yourself in talking about what um, what normalisation is. So I think the probability is that uh, there's enough 
uh, criticism of uh, of inflation and even of the uh, the governor of the Bank of Japan at the moment, so that the, the replacement will be not a, a Ministry of Finance guy um, who wants to keep down um, interest rates to keep their, their um, interest costs down, but much more a, a, a BOJ guy who looked back on the hyperinflation of the early uh, war years and say, we never want to go back there again. But then if you put one of those BOJ guys in place, what will they do? Well, I think that the chances are, at the moment, the 10-year is, is um, held at zero. Uh, zero plus or minus 25 basis points. They might open that up to uh, plus or minus 50 basis points, but they, I, I don't think they're going to say, you know what, we're just, not, we're just going to let it find a level. Um, and, I, I and, don't think that's in the cards. And very briefly, then, from an investment perspective, you think Japan can continue to outperform, and where in particular would, would you look at in, in Japanese stocks? Well, I think the, the fact is Japan's incredibly cheap. It's got the, uh, the stimulus, the, uh, the growth is better. Um, and, of course, if you look at the real effect of the exchange rate, it's off 58% since, uh, since mid-1995. So as a, uh, a production base, it is brutally um, uh, competitive. So, yeah, I think um, now is the time to be picking up stocks that are high dividend yielders uh, with uh, defensiveness. Okay, Nick, thank you very much indeed. That's Nick Smith, Japan strategist at CLSA in Tokyo. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. And in Tokyo, the Nikkei 225 right now is down a third of a percent. The Cosby in South Korea is flat. The SX200 in Australia up a quarter of a percent. Looks like the Hang Seng is going to rise about 20 or 30 points at the open. Thank you very much for listening. Please join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. I'll be back with Money Talk coming up after the news. Back chat with Janice Wong and Ada Wong. The weather forecast can be sunny and very hot, prolonged periods of sunshine. Maximum temperature around 26 degrees in urban areas. A couple of degrees higher in the new territories. And the outlook is for it to be persistently very hot and sunny for the rest of this week and into early next week. The very hot weather warning is in force. It's 30 degrees already, 70% relative humidity. Times 8.32. Here's Andrew Shorsky with the Half Hour News. Thank you, Peter. The hospital authority says it's increasing COVID testing uh, after a cluster in the surgical ward at Shatin Hospital. A chief manager at the authority, Gladys Kwan, said more staff dealing with vulnerable patients would take PCR tests twice a week instead of once. Patients will be tested on admission day and again on their third day. She says the authority may also step up testing for visitors. The workload we anticipate, we, uh, which we can't manageable. So I um, don't think that will be affect our uh, usual services. And we think, as we have just mentioned, it really did help us to uh, early uh, pick up those positive cases. With the early co- confirmed cases, then we can isolate no matter the staff or even the patients and so that they can get the appropriate treatments. And also we can stop the spread within the hospitals. Meanwhile, health officials reported 3,906 new local cases and three more deaths of COVID patients. There were also 224 imported infections. Overseas now, President Zelensky of Ukraine says he's confident that the export of grain from the country's Black Sea ports will resume this week, easing the global food crisis. Government officials said the first port to open will be Chornomorsk, south of Odessa, following last week's deal signed by Moscow and brokered by the United Nations and Turkey. But after a Russian attack on the port area of Odessa on Saturday, some opposition politicians in Kyiv have expressed skepticism. Kira Ruddick is the leader of the Golas party. You cannot make deals with Russia 
they will always break their word, they will always lie, and they will always screw you up. And what we have seen was kind of hashtag we told you so, because like a day after the deal was signed, they bombarded Odessa ports. And what we have seen from the other parties who signed the deal, from the United Nations and Turkey, they said, oh, we condemn these actions. There have been fierce exchanges during a head-to-head televised debate between the two candidates hoping to replace Boris Johnson as the leader of the Conservative Party and British Prime Minister. Liz Truss said tax increases announced by her opponent Rishi Sunak when he was Chancellor would crash the economy. Mr. Sunak criticized her plans to cut taxes and delay the repayment of the government's coronavirus debt. <laughs> 